It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? If you've got your Bibles, I want us to jump right into the Word today. So find your way to Genesis chapter 48. And we're going to be looking at a couple of verses here. It might be a little bit long of a verse, but that's okay. Give you a context. And uh, I don't have an a incredibly deep message for you this morning. I just have the Word of God, and I pray that it's going to impact you and meet you exactly at the intersection of your life, where the rubber meets the road this morning. I pray that it encourages you. Genesis chapter 48. We're going to start right here at verse 8, and we're going to go through a couple of verses. It says here, When Israel saw Joseph... When he saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? I know we're kind of coming into this uh, in the middle here somewhere. There's lots that has happened before this moment. But if you are unfamiliar with the story, this is an unexpected reunion between a father and a son and his children. It's an unexpected reunion because Israel, who was formerly known as this man Jacob, he has had a name changed. He is the father of Joseph, and he's the father of 12 others, actually, 11 at the time of Joseph's birth, and then later on he has one more child. He has a lot of kids, and this is a reunion because many years back, Joseph's brothers, jealous of him, you know, always instigated by Joseph as, as God had given Joseph dreams and given him uh, insights into his future and his calling and his purpose. Uh, Joseph didn't quite know how to share that, and sometimes he would share that in his youth in a brash way towards his brothers. His brothers had animosity towards him and they plotted and so one day their their brothers his brothers decided to sell him into slavery to get rid of him and they come up with a story that Joseph had been come upon by wild beasts and so he was torn apart he was killed by wild animals and so the father Jacob who is now named Israel has not seen his son and has believed his son to be dead for all of these years. Yet God had preserved the life of Joseph. And he was sold into slavery. Ended up in, in Potiphar's house. Ended up being accused and wrongly sentenced to jail. Spent years in jail and was faithful there. And faithful in all these different seasons of his life. And he's come to a point where he's now in second in, in command of, of Egypt because God's hand was upon him and here we find that these two men are together again unexpectedly because of God's miraculous interventions and preservation they have been brought back together so so take a look at verse 9 jo Joseph said to his father they are my sons whom God has given me here and he said bring them to me please that I may bless them now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both. Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left. And Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right. And brought them near him. 
And Israel stretched out his hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, and the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Amen? When Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim. What did it do? It displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father. Since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people. And he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will pronounce a blessing. Say, by, by you, Israel, will pronounce a blessing, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Father, I thank you for this scripture, and I pray that you would just highlight, Lord God, something so simple here for us, that, Lord God, it creates life within our bones, and, Lord Jesus, it encourages faith within our hearts, God, that it aligns us to what you want to do and accomplish in this moment for this very time, Lord God, in your precious name, amen. Amen. I know it's a, it's a mouthful, several things going on, and I wanted to give you some context, but let me ask you this. Have you ever had something cross in the mail? Have you ever had something of yours cross in the mail? Like you sent something out, and yet it did not arrive to its destination. Uh, unfortunately, we have that happen here sometimes when we're sending out payments to vendors, right, Sharon? And it drives us insane because we've sent it, and yet they're saying, hey, here's a late fee. You didn't, we didn't get your invoice we didn't get your payment and we're like hey look it's right here we have a picture of the check we have a picture of the stuff it was mailed out here it is and so the mail takes the blame have you ever had something crossed in the mail or have you ever crisscrossed an order at the drive-thru window anybody ever had that happen to you you know i always like to check now before i drive away because there's nothing like you're expecting a big mac, a big mac and then all of a sudden you take a bite and it's a fillet of fish now, for some of you, I know that we have some, some of you that that would have been a, a joyful thing, you know? Some of you guys, you're like, yes, filet of fish, exactly what I wanted. I remember uh, Mr. Haskins, who's, who's uh, hopefully going to be with us soon, he loves filet of fish. So if you have a chance to connect with him and take him out for a meal, grab him a filet of fish. He'll, he'll enjoy it and he'll thank you for it. But hey, things get crisscrossed sometimes, don't they? Sometimes we're expecting one thing, but yet we get something else. And you know what? What do we do? How do we do? How do we live? And what do we, you know, move into? What do we do at that moment when we are expecting one thing and get something else? When life gives us something that we thought we weren't going to have, we wanted something different. 
when it seems like things have been crossed in life and they just don't seem right. See, it's not like there's a major catastrophe or tragedy, but yet it seems like it's just not right. It doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel, you know, like the way it should be. You ever experience seasons of your life like that where it feels like you're going up against the grain? Like it's just not natural. It's just not right. It's not fitting into the concept of what you expected and anticipated for yourself. Seasons one, like Manasseh, you were expecting the right hand and yet you got the left left hand instead. I want us to consider this this morning out of this scripture, this idea of being crossed, crisscrossed, crisscrossed applesauce. It's not the way that it looks like it should be. And here in this scripture, in this text, we find the fact that there is a man who is expecting one thing, Joseph who has encountered his dad after a long reunion, and he is having an incredible benefit and privilege. You know, the father is choosing to bless the, the sons of Joseph, which, which is an odd thing to begin with in the first place, because usually the blessings were conferred upon the children and not the grandchildren. The grandchildren are blessed by extension, but not in direct connection, direct oversight, a direct hand being placed upon them. And yet here it is. And, you know, have you, you know, noticed that there's anthropomorphisms in the Bible? And what does that mean? That means that God who, you know, Luke tells us, God is spirit and those who worship him, who should worship him in spirit and in truth. See, God does not have a physical body like me and you. But yet, all throughout the Bible, there are anthropomorphisms uh, with, with, with God. There, there is, um, you know, the, these words and these ideas, these images where we, you know, um, uh, ascribe to God, you know, connections and, and relation to certain animals. Like, for example, God uh, hovering over his children like a hen over her chicks. But then there's also personifications within the Bible. And personifications is where we connect uh, God to, you know, qualities and characteristics that we have as people with a body, with a mind, with a soul, and all these different things. And so, you know, there's references all throughout the Bible of God's right hand. Can you remember any of them? There's references to God's right hand all throughout the Bible. There's references to his eyes, to his ears, to his heart. There's references to all these different things. But when we see all throughout the scriptures, there are references to God's right hand. For example, Exodus 15, 6 says, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalms 118, he says, Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. And we can look all throughout this book, the Bible, and you'll find that there are so many references of the personification of God's right hand. And every time we see it, I'm not going to read all of them to you, but I'll summarize it to say this. Every time we see God's right hand, it is a reference to God's power, to God's authority, to God's honor, to God's glory, to God's purpose. It is always a good thing when you see God's right hand. And that's pretty cool if you're right-handed, huh? No offense to my left-handed friends, all right? There's no offense here. But I, I was researching this and find, I found out that only about 10 to 12% of the world's population is left-handed. 
And uh, I figured it would have been at least 50-50, right? Like, what's, what's the deal? But it's 10 to 12%. Is there any left-handed folks here in this room today? There we go. We got a few. We got a few. All right. Awesome. God bless you guys. Nothing wrong with you all, so please, all right? Don't, don't take any offense in this message. It's just the fact that I see time and time again the, the right hand of God referred in scriptures, okay? So we're just going to go on this vein and look at this story for, for a little bit. The right hand represents, you know, the glory, the power, the authority, the purpose. And so I, I would like to connect it with this idea. When we're operating in God's right hand, as the right hand of God is sovereignly over us, that could represent times seasons of our lives where things are just working like we feel like we've come into a groove and we're fulfilling and maximizing our purpose we experience God's power we experience his grace and his presence he is right there he is blessing us with his favor and there is an incredible momentum within our lives that is the representation of God's right hand upon you so can you, can you uh, give Joseph a little bit of credit for putting his eldest son Manasseh in front of his father Israel and putting him directly in front of Israel's right hand? Everything that is good, powerful, purposeful, and exciting, momentous, and glorious from God's provision and power. I want that to rest upon my son. I want there to be a natural, an excited uh, uh, direction and purpose in his life. So I am placing him before you here, Father, and I want you to bless him. Now, conversely, when I look throughout the scriptures, I don't see a lot of references to the other hand of God. I don't see a lot of references. does not mean that there is not power or, or, or purpose there, but I do not see it as highlighted as I see the right hand. And so if we look in our text here, if we go back into the situation, Israel is getting ready to bless his grandchildren. He's decided, I have not seen you. I thought you were dead, Joseph. And now I have the benefit and the privilege of getting to see not only you, but my grandkids. God is so good to me. I want to bless you. And as he's getting ready to do that, he places um, Manasseh right within the reach of the right hand and yet right there Joseph as the custom was to bless the firstborn the firstborn was to receive a double portion of the inheritance a double portion of the anointing to receive an extra blessing of favor the hand of power honor and 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 and, and blessing was supposed to be upon the firstborn as was the custom in that time his little brother was there he would be blessed as well but it wouldn't be quite the same and right when it's about to happen, Joseph goes like that. He crisscrosses his hands. Church, let me ask you this. When God's about to pour out his blessing, when God's in the season, when you look and observe and you look around you and you're seeing that God's in the season of blessing people and he's pouring out his favor upon folks, you know, is this something that we have experienced in our lives? When we look around and say, wait, how come? Does it seem like everyone else is getting the right hand of God and yet I'm here left with the left hand? Like, God is over here blessing my family, blessing my friends. He's blessing my colleague and my coworker. He is pouring out good looks and, 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 and smarts, and he's pouring out resources, and he's pouring out opportunity, and he's pouring out, you know, uh, influence and favor, and he's pouring out X, Y, Z. And yet, God, it seems like I got the short end of the stick here. What's going on? Have you ever experienced that in your life? If you're honest, if you looked around, you look within your own family, it's like, hey, we grew up in the same household, we have the same parents, and how come it seems like my sibling is a little bit more well-off than I am? 
Hey, we, we have the same teacher in the same class, and yet it seems like you know, we're learning the same thing, but my, my classmates are, are making the honor roll, and I'm not. It seems like, you know what, they're getting, past, they're getting the promotion, and I am not. You know, the, the right hand of God seems to be placed on somebody else, and you feel like you're getting the second-rate blessing. Have you ever experienced that in your life? Have you ever had that moment where you start doubting and you start, you know, worrying and you start comparing and you start being frustrated? Before we, we, we go too deep into that and, and, and I just encourage you to have a pity party and go home discouraged today, let me just stop and consider this for a second. He said here in the scripture, he said in the text that he was to bless the other son, I know, I know my son, he also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. What I want you to understand here for a second is, can we just stop and consider this? Did Manasseh, when, when he was experiencing this moment, and after he left this day, this encounter with his grandfather, did he hold on to this moment and hold on to that, to that second, to that act of crisscrossing and say, man, if that was just different in my life that day, everything would have been different for me. Did he get tripped up and, and, and concerned and so focused on that moment that he did not get the right hand versus the left hand? I want us to consider this for a second because was he not blessed in the process? See, if you look throughout the scriptures and you realize the fact that right there within that very uh, story, Israel says, I'm going to bless him. He's going to be a great people. And if we search down the, the pages of history and realize that there were great descendants that came from both tribes, we realize that when the people of Israel finally crossed over from Egypt and they went into the promised land and they're conquering the nation and the place and the land that God had promised Abraham and Isaac and then Jacob, Israel, uh, that both Manasseh and both Ephraim were allotted choice lands. They were allotted choice properties where they got to get the best of the land in the space that they got it. And they got one to the right and one to the left of the Jordan River. They had incredible numbers of descendants. And in that time, when you were to consider someone being blessed, you measured blessing by the number of offspring. And you know what? It was a sad thing when you did not have heirs and children to have. So Abraham, when we think back to his story, he was so saddened at the fact that he did not have a child of his own. And that became a sore point for him for many years and Sarah for many years. And yet the promise of descendants came. And so the promise also came. When they're numbering the people, there's 30, 40, 50,000 men that are representative within these two tribes. There is a lot of descendants. And so my question to you is, can God bless with both of his hands? And the resounding answer is absolutely. See, God is not limited in his power and his ability. When we look around and we start seeing, hey, that person is being blessed, this person's being blessed, and God's pouring out his favor over here. And yet, God, what is going to be left over for me? God is able to bless us with both of his hands. He's got ample supply within his storehouse that will be able to give us that which we need and fulfill our purpose where we will not be less than because of the hand that he placed upon us. So thank God this morning that God has power within both of his hands and that he's able to do for us no matter what he's decided in his sovereignty to do, left or right. Practically, was Manasseh missing out? Absolutely not, because God was faithful. 
and God fulfilled his promise. So church, I don't know what you have felt like you've been passed up on. I don't know what you have observed in your sphere of influence and family and social status group and and circle of friends. I don't know what you are comparing yourself to, but let me just tell you this. Can you stop and put your gaze on the fact that he said, I shall bless you? God has a blessing in store for you and it may not look the same way as it looks for your brother or your sister. It may not look the same way as it looks for that pastor or that church. It may not look the same way as it looks for this region and that that society, but it's, it's what he has in store for you for such a time as this. God is able to bring it about. Why? Because he has power in both of his hands. Not only that, when I look at this story, I I start to, to, to consider this. Okay. If God doesn't, um, do, doesn't have a limited amount of power and he can bless in both hands and yet God is choosing to do something here incredibly, I want us to take a look at this. Is there other references to the left hand and, and, and what's going on throughout the Bible? Is there other references, though it's not many, what can we find out? And if we look across the scriptures, I find that there's stories here that tell us not only does God have power in both hands, but that God also affects victory through his left hand. That God can accomplish victory through that which is not what it seems, that has been crossed, that which is not the order in which we thought we needed or wanted. And so I want you to take a look with me. Uh, There's another scripture. If you go to the book of Judges, skip over a little bit. There's been this promise given, and now the people have, you know, come into the land. They have inherited it. They they are, you know, living within it. The time of Joshua has come, and now there's judges. The people are, are living for God for seasons, and then they walk away from the faith and they do sin that is, is not right and what does not please the Lord, but then God in his incredible mercy sends them judges in order to help them overcome and, and uh, move away from their oppressors and experience victory in their lives. In the book of Judges, it tells us in Judges chapter 20, it tells us here that there was a period of time where there was uh, war happening and enemies were attacking the Israelites. They were attacking the people of God. And in verse 20, um, in chapter 20, verse 16 and 15, it says this, and the people of Benjamin mustered out of their cities on that day, 26,000 men who drew their swords besides the inhabitants of Gibeah who mustered 700 chosen men among all these were 700 chosen men with, that were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. I find it incredible that God goes through the details of, of putting that little fact in there for us. He goes through the, 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 the attention to give us the fact that these men were left-handed. 700 of these men, in fact. Out of this 26,000 men army who was about to fight the enemy and defend the nation, there are 700 of these men who are left-handed. And they belong to the tribe of Benjamin. They belong to the youngest of the tribes of Judah, of Israel. Uh, sorry, of Israel. It, it, it is one of the tribes that was the least of these, the one that was the youngest of all, the son that came after Joseph, the father of Manasseh and Ephraim. And in that moment, it tells us that there's 700 of them who were left-handed. These guys were able to take a sling and they could sling in such accuracy in such precision that they could hit a hair on a target they they could do it so well and these men were left-handed and so i stop and i think about this okay uh that word is mentioned there the only other time that you find this word left-handed here in the book of judges is if you go back to chapter three 
And in Judges chapter 3, just go there with me for a second. There is another story of a different judge. When the people had gone astray, God sends and raises up this man. And it tells us here in Judges chapter 3 that God raised up a man by the name of Ehud, chapter 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel. Because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord, he gathered to him the Ammonites and the Malachites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms, that is, the city of Jericho. And the people of Israel served Eglon and the king of Moab 18 years. Then the people of Israel cried out in the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, Jera, the Benjamite. Okay, so from the tribe of Benjamin... There is a group of people who are left-handed, all right, 700 of them, all right, from that very same tribe. Now there is a man by the name of Ehud who is to be a judge and deliver the people out of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, of, uh, uh, two edges a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented a tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, and so on and so forth the story goes. But one detail that we find here is in verse 15, it tells us that he was a left-handed man. And so church, this story, I don't know if you've read it, but it's actually fascinating. (laughs) If you keep reading this story, there's details in here that we're like, why does God give us such details? And it's incredible uh, how descriptive it is. It tells us that this man is left-handed, that the Benjamites were left-handed, and it uses this word left-handed for a purpose and a reason, and it tells us that when God needed to rise up uh, a man to deliver his people, he raised up a warrior, a man who was, by characteristic, left-handed. He did not lift up a man that was right, and he had many others who were in that category before. But in this specific time, he does this. And it's incredible that as you read the story, uh, Ehud goes to pay tribute to the king of Moab. As he goes there, he's bringing his tribute. He has concealed within his body a dagger, a sword of 18 inches, a cubit long. And he's concealed it on his right side. And so that is just incredible to me that God, through this man, decides to affect victory through his left hand. He used a man who was not able to utilize his right, but who was proficient within his left. And he takes him there. And because he goes to the king's quarters and he's paying his tribute, the, the guards are searching him at the door. And they are customarily ready to, to search for the weapons on the left side of the soldiers. Why? Because you try to draw a sword from the same side. You got a long sword on your side and you try to lift that up, your your wingspan, your arm can only go a certain amount of space. It It can only clear the hilt depending if it's a small sword. And so what they would do is put it on the other side. And yet here comes a man who God is going to use to affect his plan, who is going to deliver them from their oppressor. And he's used him specifically because of the fact that he is left-handed. So he puts it on the other side. When the guards come and the guards check in upon him, they check the wrong side and they do not find the concealed weapon. He does not find the concealed weapon. So when he goes in there and he shows up, everybody thinks it's okay and there's no problem. This guy is unarmed, there's no issues, so no worries. Go ahead, pay tribute to the king, go talk to him. Ehud tells the king, he says, hey, I got a secret for you, I want to tell you. And when the king steps up, the Bible tells us in very explicit details that this king, Mo uh, uh, Eglon, was a very large man. And not large in the sense that he was, you know, a super tall basketball player, but that he was a large man and he grew sideways. He was very plump. 
So much so that, you know, when it tells us that Ehud stood for, came forward and he says, I got a secret for you. It's a message from the Lord. Oh, a message from the Lord. Let me hear it. You know, you, God's subjugating you guys and, and you guys are going to be my subjects forever. No, I got a message for you. Ehud takes out his sword. He reaches over with his left hand, grabs it on the right side, and he goes and he plunges it deep into that man's belly. I know it's gruesome. But the Bible tells us that he went so deep that actually the fat of this king kind of enveloped around the sword and Ehud couldn't even take it out. But it went in there and he accomplished his purpose and he was able to deliver the people. And because of that, as he escapes that place, he is able to deliver the people of Israel out of the oppression of the, of the Moabites. And they lived in freedom for many years. See, God raised up a man that was left-handed. A man that uh, did not have everything together. And this is the incredible part. When I look at this scripture and I look at J uh, Judges chapter 20, about the 700 men, and you look at that word, the only two times that that left-handed word is used, it's not the word that we would use when we describe someone to be left-handed. It's a word, you know, we would say a person who is right or left-handed, that means that they favor one hand over the other. But the word in Hebrew, itir, it's a word that implies that something has been shut up, that something has been bound. So stop and consider this for a second, that God chose a man who had something shut up. He had his, left, he had his right hand shut up to the fact that now he is left-handed. Something had happened to him. Something had impacted him. Something had inhibited him from being proficient with his right hand. And therefore, because of that, he became conscious and, and intentional I'm sorry, to develop his left hand because he had a deficiency or a problem. So church, what is the, the beauty in this for us this morning? As you're considering your situation, as, as you look out and you, and you see, maybe God has crisscrossed the blessing and I'm over here sitting under the wrong hand. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm set up in this way and I'm living in this situation where I don't have what I want and what I need. Life does not feel natural. I'm having to be limited. I don't have the proficiency that I want or it's not working out the way that I thought it should have worked out right now. Could it be that God has utilized the weak things of the world to confound the wise? That he has utilized us in our weakness and us in our deficiencies, us in our limitations. And he says, hey, despite your limitations, I'm gonna give you an advantage. And when you look at how war was conducted, in this period of time. You're doing line battle. You've got an enemy who is standing before you. And in their right hand, they're holding a sword. In their left hand, they're holding a, a, a shield. And when you come directly opposite to that person and you're getting ready to wield your sword at them with your right hand, you're only gonna be met with their left hand of a shield. But when you come at them and all you have is your left hand approaching their right, they don't have a defense system there. They have an offensive weapon. And so what God does is he utilizes Ehud's weakness and his inefficiencies and his ineffectiveness and his uh, diminished uh, potential as we would look at it. And God says, I'm going to use this for my glory and for my purpose. Church, I don't know what your weakness may be. 
what you look at your life and say, hey, I'm deficient in this way. But one thing I've seen time and time again, what God has utilized in one person in a season of weakness, he brings it out into their strength area in another season of life. How many of you have been incredibly used by God in an area that you thought, this is my weakest moment, but you have overcome that moment and come on the other side and now you had an offer for somebody else, hope and direction and guidance. Have you ever encountered that where somebody was so broken and dejected in one area and they overcame that and now they are a champion think about those who encounter christ and in the midst of their addiction or brokenness they experience god's provision and out of that they become an incredible powerhouse to help others who are now addicted because god has brought them out of their issue and out of their weakness god is made strong amen see god can utilize your weakness and your inefficiencies and your brokenness and he does so why because he accomplishes victories in the left hand not only that, one last thing that I want to just share with you guys today this morning is the fact that when we look at this whole situation with Israel, Israel, the man who used to be called Jacob, who has all these 13 kids and grandkids and all these things are going on, he only had two children with his beloved Rachel. He only had two, and the first was Joseph, and Joseph, he thought, was dead, and now he's been reunited with him. But his second child with Joseph, uh, with, with Rachel, was Benjamin, of all who, who all of these people, these left-handed men, are descendants of. And it tells us in the Bible that when they were, when he was being born, I believe it's in chapter 28 of, of, of Genesis, and it tells us that when this child is to come into the world, Rachel is actually in pain and suffering. She's actually on her deathbed. Uh, th this pregnancy has been very difficult, and she's actually dying in the process of giving birth. And it tells us in the Bible that when she lays eyes on this child, she calls him Ben-Oni, which means child of my sorrow child of my weakness, child of my pain. How many of you guys want to be called a child of sorrow? <laughs> Imagine that going through life. It's like Ichabod. When, when, the, when, the, when the ark of God was stolen from Israel and uh, the prophet's uh, you know, uh, daughter-in-law was having a baby. She called him Ichabod. The presence of God has departed. Imagine being strapped with a name with such significance, with such meaning. The rest of your life, you carry that through. You look at that and you experience that and you live in that. But let me just tell you, church, that the moment that she cried out and said, he shall be called Ben-Oni, the child of my sorrow, Israel looked at her and said, no, we're gonna call him Benjamin. And you know what Benjamin means? Benjamin means child of my right hand. See, what, what, what the world will say to you is that you have been labeled a Benoni, a child of sorrow, that you are a pain in the neck, that you don't have it all together, that you are going to be debilitated, that you are going to be a point of soreness, that you are not going to be successful or great or this or that, and that you don't have it together and there's no potential for you to overcome and there's no plan of God here. Why? Because you have been called Benoni, the child of sorrow, yet God, he looks out and he sees you and he says, you know what? You are the child of my right hand. You are the child 
of my blessing, the child of my purpose, the child of my strength, the child of my old age that I love and I cherish, that I want and I enjoy because why? I have a plan and a purpose for you. See, before any one of our days were, he wrote them down in his book of life and God had a purpose. I don't know what you're going through and I don't know what you have looked at and compared yourself to and you think that everybody else has it better, everybody else is, is more along and further along and, and has a better blessing, but let me just tell you, God has a plan and a purpose for you. He wants to accomplish something in your life. And he has an incredible will for you where you are not an accident or a mistake and a source of pain, but you are to him a source of great power and strength. So I want you to stop and consider and rewrite your, your, your thoughts and your words. What are the words that you're saying to yourself? What are the thoughts that you're thinking to yourself? How are you living? And let me just tell you, if you're living in comparison, you're always going to be insecure. The person who compares himself is an insecure person. If there's anyone that we should compare ourselves to, is to the purpose of God in our lives. Because he has a plan and a purpose, and he shall call you the child of his right hand. Church, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and I want you to just consider this with me. As God, the Father, looked out out of, out of all of humanity, and he, and he understood and saw everything that was happening with his plan and his purpose. He had a child of promise, a child of blessing, a child of power and glory. It tells us in the word that Jesus is the firstborn out of all creation. He is the one that is to be the firstborn of God. He is the one that has the place, the prominence, the authority, the, the everything is sustained and withheld. Why? Because he has been elevated and glorified. Yet when God realized what was happening with man's condition, when we chose to walk away from him in the Garden of Eden through our sin, and that perpetuated in us, the first Adam became the, 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 the one who brought in a curse for us. And so what does God do? As God looks to his son, the firstborn of all creation, he says, I'm willing to go out of order here for a second. And he says, I'm gonna crisscross my hands. And the, the hand of the right hand of power and prominence and glory that belongs to my firstborn son, I'm willing to cross it and lay that hand upon all of my other Ephraims, which is you and I. All of my other Ephraims who have walked away from me because all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so in that, as we feel like we don't compare and don't measure up to Jesus as we do not, but yet he says, I have done great things, you shall do greater. Why? Because the spirit that lives within me, the hand of God that has blessed me, it is not that I just need his right hand, but his left hand is also a hand of blessing, but God has put his hand upon us and he says, you are to be a blessing and there is a way for you to be prosperous and have a life and a future. I don't know if you've experienced Jesus in your life, if you've welcomed and come in to the cross of Christ, the cross that gives us the opportunity to be set free. See, God is willing to go a little bit out of order in order to bless you. He has done it time and time again. And as we just worship God in a moment, I want you to stop and consider, did he not take David out of order as the youngest of, his, of, of Jesse's children and elevate him to a place of power and prominence? Did he not allow a woman who was huh, considered to be a dog 
As she comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, give me some food. Help me, Lord. And Jesus says to her, the food is reserved for the children of Israel. And she says, yeah, but even the dogs catch a scrap at the table. And Jesus says, okay, I'll go out of order. And he blessed that lady in that moment. What about the woman who had the issue of blood in her life? And she knew it wasn't the proper way, the right way, the right order, the right protocol in order for her to go and touch the hem of his garment. Yet she says, I'm going to touch it anyways. Why? Because God is a God that is willing to cross things up so that he can highlight his blessing and pour out his miracle and dispense his healing and pour out his provision. And I don't know what you need, but you start stepping in the gap and realizing that God is placing his hand on you, whether you deserve it or not. Why? Because he's declared you to be worthy of his salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. So church, what is it that you're living under the shadow of a second blessing, not realizing that, hey, both of God's hands are powerful to bless? The fact that you are alive and you have breath within your lungs, there is hope for you and there is a purpose for you still. So forget what hasn't worked out right and what is not lining up to what you feel natural and what seems to be awkward and uncomfortable in this season and say, God, what is it that you want to speak to me in this moment? Because both of your hands have purpose. And God, what is it that you have given me in terms of inefficiencies and delinquencies and and, and weaknesses that God, you want to utilize to bring about your victory in this world, in my family? in my workplace. And God, I know that you have chosen me and selected me and called me by name, that I am a child of your right hand no matter what blessing I've experienced. Church, what would happen if we just started believing that we have every single reserved blessing of God right at our disposal? How would we live? How would we engage our neighbors, our friends, our colleagues? How would we go to work? And what would we do within the context of the community that God has placed us in? If we truly said, hey, I have everything that I need in terms of God's blessing. I'm not less than, I'm not second rate. I'm not a second rate citizen. I am his anointed chosen child of his right hand. Could there be more miracles? Could there be more lives set free? Could there be more hope extended? Could there be transformation that reaches our loved ones and our family members? Today, I want you to respond by just having a moment with God. I want you to just declare to him that you will no longer live under the pressure of comparison but that you will step in and say, God, every good and perfect promise that you have reserved I know you've reserved it for me. I'm going to step into that and I'm going to operate in it. So Lord, I pray that you would fill your church with your grace and your mercy because God, the greatest blessing that they have all received is the fact that you decided, Lord God, to go through on the cross of Calvary And Lord, you allow the Father to cross his hands and say, I'm not going to elevate my firstborn out of all creation to a place right here where there is no hope for the other children, to the others who will come, but I will give freely. And when Jesus, you stepped on that cross, you poured out your life, you poured out your spirit, and you declared the work to be finished because 
you did not care to take the first place. You did not cherish your life above ours, but you gave it for us freely. And in in so doing, Lord, you've accomplished for us life and life eternal. So Lord, today, any person who has not yet come to know you and experience you, Father, I pray that you would move upon their hearts today, that they would just pray simply. Would you pray with me? Let's all pray together and affirm this prayer right now. Would they just pray simply this prayer as they declare, God, you are for me. Through your son, Jesus Christ, who lived perfectly, who died innocently, you purchased salvation for me. You elevated me to a place of life, freedom, power, and purpose. So I welcome you into my heart, Jesus. Empower me to live for you. Forgive me of my sins and lead me in the ways of life. In God's mighty name, amen. Church, as you just spend a moment with the Lord, I encourage you that may the love of God just wash over you and encourage you and may the Holy Spirit's presence and fellowship richly dwell upon you. And that as you go from this place, you live a life that is worthy of the fact that you are a child of God's right hand. May God bless you and protect you. These altars are open for prayer. If we could encourage you in any way, we are here for you. God bless you. Be be blessed. Be encouraged. Amen.